This is uh, Dr. Pedro Ramirez, Editor-in-Chief of the International Journal of Gynecological Cancer. And today I have the great pleasure of speaking with my colleague and friend, uh, Dr. Luis Chiva, who is Director in the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology at Clinica Universidad de Navarra and also Head of the Section of Gynecologic Oncology in the same institution. In addition, he's editor-in-chief of E-Academy for ESGO, and he's the chair of the Quality Assurance Committee for ESGO. So, Luis, welcome, and it's a great pleasure to have you on. It is, it is my pleasure, Pedro. It's an amazing pleasure. I'm really honored to be invited, you know, for, for uh, recording this podcast for the, our audience. Thank you, really. Of course, no, Luis, is, uh, it's an honor. And um, the reason for the podcast uh, is uh, your uh, very important study, the SUCOR study, an international European cohort observational study comparing minimally invasive surgery versus open abdominal radical hysterectomy in patients with stage 1B1 cervical cancer. That's the uh, lead article for the September issue of our journal. So um, certainly congratulations on, uh, on completing this really important study. So I wanted to um, ask you, obviously, as I mentioned, this is a, a really uh, crucial study as it represents a broad range of institutions through throughout Europe, encompassing uh, 1,272 patients in total. Um, we had the data from the randomized controlled trial, the LAC trial, and subsequently from numerous centers in the United States and Asia. And now this is the largest uh, representation from Europe. So, Luis, my first question is going to be, do you consider that the SUCOR study is representative of the outcomes in most centers in Europe? Well, first of all, and before, you know, answering this question, I have to tell you that, you know, somehow, I mean, the, the last reason why I, I uh, start to think in this study was, you know, after uh, learning the results of your study, the LAC trial. Mm -hmm. um, there was, you know, a source of inspiration and I asked to uh, ask myself for many times, you know, how, you know, what should be the reasons for that results and and that we, indeed, we uh, actually, we didn't, didn't have any results from Europe. So mm -hmm. I start to consider just, uh, I would say, in the beginning of 2019, the idea of designing uh, just a humble um, retrospective study but you know that try to collect the real life of Europe so I uh, proposed the council this um, retrospective study and I had the opportunity of um, inviting I would say every single European member of FESGO so I uh, I, I had not any any special um, indication or uh, selections uh, uh, I would say, um, a way of selections for, for a specific uh, centers. Mm -hmm. uh, we invited every, every, every uh, single member of, the, of our society and we received, first of all, almost 200 applications forms. Mm -hmm. But finally, we gathered information from 126 institutions belonging to 29 European countries, right? Mm -hmm. This is, the, this is the, the... So I would say, I mean, trying to answer your question, that indeed... 
I think that somehow represent, I mean, these numbers, 1,272 patients, represent, it's a good biopsy, mm -hmm. it's a good specimen mm -hmm. for a study the real situation of radical hysterectomy in Europe. Mm -hmm. So, Luis, one of the things I was interested in, if you can explain to our audience, is, uh, you, you know, you spoke a little bit about reaching out broadly to all centers in, in Europe. Um, tell us a little bit about the actual inclusion criteria for the patients in the study. And if you can also highlight, because obviously this always comes up as a question, um, whether in the minimally invasive group, whether you also included robotic surgery, radical hysterectomy. Yeah, definitely. I mean, after we send, you know, a letter of invitation, of course, we tried to make uh, somehow considering that it was just a retrospective study, a real homogeneous group trying to understand that we were evaluating, you know, somehow homogeneous patients. So, of course, we exclude all the the weird uh, uh, pathologies, and we were working with the with the common pathologies, squamous cell adenocarcinoma, adenosquamous. Of course, we exclude as well. Uh, I mean, tumors uh, greater than than um, uh, four centimeters. And something new in this study is we mandatorily we uh, require the preoperative um, either MRI of ultrasound and measuring the tumor, right? Trying you to be sure that it was not measured just only clinically, but also by, you know, a radiologist mm -hmm. or an expert in, in ultrasounds. Mm -hmm. And then um, some of them are very well known and the inclusion and exclusion criteria because pretty much were similar to the LAC trial, performance status, age uh, below, um, sorry, uh, older than 18, uh, type 2 or type 3 radical hysterectomy that were described in the operating report. Interesting that we can talk about later on, you know, just patients operating in the ESGO area uh, between 2013 and 2014 with, uh, for sure, that a description of bilateral lymphadenectomy with more than 10 nodes in the specimen or uh, we allowed a sentinel node as well. And, and the pathology mandatorily had to show uh, information on the tumor side in the parametrial invasion and the bilateral nodal status, right? Mm -hmm. On the other hand, as in many other studies, uh, we exclude, you know, those patients with past medical history of invasive tumors, previous abdominal or pelvic radiation therapy, any type of uh, oncologic treatment, and also suspicious uh, disease outside of the cervix, either in the PET-CT, MRI, or CT. Right. So, uh, and conversion to a minimal surgery to laparotomy is something that we can discuss later on. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, this is, of course, a humble retrospective study, but trying, you know, to uh, control some bias and trying to make something, you know, the most serious that you can get in retrospective uh, research. Okay. And Luis, you, you mentioned that uh, you specifically uh, chose the time frame from January of 2013 to December of 2014. Can you speak yeah. a little bit about why that specific time frame? You know what, I, I uh, Pedro, I mean, when you are designing a retrospective study, you are somehow scary that people get really tired of collecting an amazing amount of cases, right? So there was two reasons. First, I wanted to have uh, 
uh, fair enough median follow-up time, meaning that, you know, most of the, the medians, if I don't remember, but the, the median uh, follow-up time in our patient was almost uh, 60 months, which is, you know, a very good follow-up. Um, and so, and on the other hand, I wanted to be appealing, you know, to collect uh, not a very large number of cases. To, In other words, to take a real picture of the real life mm -hmm. in a short period, a, a brief period of time, right? Yeah. And, and Luis, you also uh, just uh, recently mentioned that uh, conversions from minimally invasive surgery to laparotomy was an exclusion criteria. Um, and, and certainly some might say, well, you know, this is not really then an intent to treat evaluation. Um, how do you think this might have impacted your results, if, if, if in any way at all? Well, yeah, in the very beginning, I was uh, in trying, you know, to follow the, the, this criteria was not including the LAC trial, even though, I mean, even those patients with intent to treat were included. I mean, even though they were changed, you know, the approach. But I thought we, we at the time of the design of the study, we thought that, um, the, I mean, to change the approach is a source of bias. Because then, uh, for instance, you have a large tumor that is, um, then, then, then you fail to go ahead with the minimally invasive approach, and then you change to laparotomy, and then, I mean, um, at the end of the day, you are not uh, really sure you know, how, how has been the impact of whether uh, one of the, the techniques that you have used, right? So I decided at the end of the day, the number of change of approach was very low. Mm -hmm. And I decided, you know, to go ahead and to consider a sort of bias and to exclude the cases. Mm -hmm. Probably, you know, it can be done in the opposite way. But we decided, you know, to go ahead and to do this. Okay. So now, uh, one of the other things also is that, uh, and I think, you know, certainly this was uh, an issue for, for se several people, um, that, you know, uh, they have been critical of the fact that you have also excluded patients uh, who had a prior cervical colonization, as this might not be representative of the true population that undergoes radical hysterectomy. In your study, you excluded uh, 423 patients who had undergone a comb biopsy. Right, and, right, right. Uh, you know, some, some might argue that by excluding these patients, then we truly yeah. missed on learning about the risk of recurrence in this population of patients where there yeah. was no disease residual in the hysterectomy specimen. So uh, why did you elect to exclude those patients? Well, uh, let me tell you something. I mean, uh, we had an incredible discussion in the very beginning of the designing of this study. And finally, there was some, some reasons, you know, for, for, for excluding those patients. Now, we, we didn't know at that time. Now we are working in other papers that we will share with our audience, you know, later on probably in the near future. And we do know that conization is uh, itself a protective maneuver and is probably especially minimally invasive surgery and independent variable for sure. We, we can talk, you know, later on. But we didn't know in the very beginning. And there was, you know, a number of ideas. I mean, the main goal of the study was to compare the, the efficacy of, as in Europe, of uh, minimally invasive surgery versus open surgery. Mm -hmm. And we had the, uh, the suspicious... Uh, 
I mean, um, idea that probably the reason of the, of the worst results of the lion was the manipulation. How you are able to compare um, a tumor that has, you know, uh, has been conicated in or has been uh, has, um, has underwent a conization mm-hmm. if, if the tumor is not in there, right? And and what is and it's unbalanced as well because in many occasions most of the patients that underwent a conization underwent, you know, a minimal invasive procedure as well. Mm-hmm. This is one of the reasons. The second thing is, you know, at the time of measuring the a, coni, uh, a, a tumor after conizations, in most of, in many occasions, the cone biopsy has been done in other hospitals, and at the time of put together all the measurements, is kind of very difficult, especially when you perform a MRI after the conization. So there is a lot of bias. I mean, uh, surrounding the cone biopsy. So at the end of the day, we decide, you know, to go ahead and to just to answer our uh, main goal, main main objective, mm-hmm. by in the entire entire untouched tumor with mm-hmm. no conization. But now we know, and it's something that is, you know, it's a preliminary. So I, I would like to announce here that um, for in, in after conization, I mean, patients with the um, with, without conization had much worse results in minimal invasive surgery. So it's something that we have to study mm-hmm. later on and uh, to publish uh, shortly. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think that um, and there are many who will be looking at what the results were in those uh, uh, groups of patients that had the conization, yeah. as you have a, obviously a very good number. So I'm also interested in um, two of your secondary outcomes. And I think it was only natural, obviously, to look at the reasons why other studies had shown worse outcomes with uh, minimally invasive surgery. First was the use of the uterine manipulator. And second, the vaginal protective maneuvers. Um, Can you tell us your thoughts on on this hypothesis of... uh, tumor spillage being a culprit for the worst outcomes yeah. in minimally invasive surgery? Well, there are many reasons that have been, you know, commented on uh, that has produced the results of the LAC trial, I mean, worsening the, the disease-free survival in patients with uh, minimally invasive surgery. And so we asked it in our questionnaire regarding, you know, uh, possible, uh, I mean, guilties of... Uh, producing these uh, bad results uh, as, of course, the, the protective um, uh, closure of the, at the time of the vagina, at the time of the colpotomy, use or not use of uh, uterine manipulator, the use of back for extracting the nodes, and so forth. Let me tell you something, Pedro. I mean, from the very beginning, our colleagues, I mean, our giants, our teachers in, in radical hysterectomy, as uh, uh, Ernst Berheim and, and Shauta, they try to protect somehow in, in many ways, you know, the spillage of the tumor in the abdominal cavity by using the Bergen clamps, mm-hmm. by even removing the, the bulky tumor in the very beginning before starting the surgery or just with this, the Shauta maneuver mm-hmm. closing the vagina, right? So what I'm pretty sure right now, after being one year and for one year studying all the, I mean, all my, the patients, including this study, is that you know the real guilty, or, or the, the of I, I can blame the the wrong manipulation of the tumor, especially big tumors, at the time 
of the of um, performing this procedure by minimal inversive surgery. I mean, for sure, and we have, you know, a lot of data on that, we manipulate for a longer time, and we, we have encountered the tumor with the abdominal cavity, and not in open. In open is right away. We open the, the vagina, and we remove right away the tumor. Mm -hmm. But for a while, in minimal immersion surgery, we are, you know, spreading, we are touching with our graspers, we are pulling from the tumor. We are fractionating with the manipulator. And this is, from my point of view, my humble point of view, the reason. Mm -hmm. So then Rather obviously, than the, the yeah. CO2 mm -hmm. or other, right? Yeah. And, and yeah, I mean, I think a, a lot of these are, are hypotheses. And I think, you know, certainly your study yeah, opens, opens a, a, a lot more um, information regarding the uh, the manipulator and the, and the protective maneuver. So then that's actually perfect uh, segue into the next question that I had, which was the main findings uh, of your study. And, and certainly I would like to, uh, first, if you can tell us about the uh, approach, MIS, minimally invasive surgery versus open. And then if you yeah. could discuss more details, what happened with tumor size, whether this was a factor, and then the subgroup analyses of the uterine manipulator and the protective maneuver. So what, what did you find? Well, first of all, I mean, from the very beginning, we tried you know, to compare minimal invasive surgery versus open in terms of disease-free survival and overall survival. And from the very beginning, before uh, doing you know, a weighted course, there was differences. But afterwards, uh, we uh, found that, I mean, the group with minimal invasive surgery were somehow uh, like uh, more benign, you know, lo more uh, lower risk tumors, mm -hmm. smaller tumors uh, with uh, less invasion, with less uh, rate of nodes and so forth. So there was not, was unfair, you know, to compare the both, both. But the thing that the first goal is clear. I mean, there was exactly the same differences like in the lab trial, of course, that you know the rate of relapse is different because you know this is a real life, mm -hmm. and the lab trial was done by, I mean, so-called experts. You know, I mean, with with a very with more strict criteria for doing surgery. But what is true, there is a, a statistical significant difference. So you are doing harm right now, at least in 2013 and 2014 in Europe, by uh, doing minimal inversion surgery. This is for sure. But this is what is important. Even though this is a retrospective study, we had the opportunity of, of use an incredible statistical tool, which is the inverse probability of treatment weighting, which is based on propensity score. Mm -hmm. It's like a magic tool that is able to convert or try to convert a retrospective study in a prospective randomized trial. Of course, it's not. But you, at the end of the day, you construct a weight core of patients who defer for instance, with respect to surgical approach or to the uterine manipulator or to the whatever, but mm -hmm. were similar to, with respect to the uh, the most important uh, characteristic that you want, right? Mm -hmm. So, after obtaining with this tool a clear a two cores that were completely similar in terms of the most important variables, right? I mean, tumor site, adjuvant therapy, nodes, and so forth. The, there was a 10% difference in overall survival 
and a seven different, sorry, in disease-free survival and 7% difference in overall survival. There was a clear, uh, I mean, uh, clear differences in, in both approaches mm -hmm. in Europe, definitely. And Luis, specifically, we're looking at the uh, the issue of um, of the subgroup analyses of the uterine manipulator and the protective maneuvers. What what did you uh, what did you find um, as it pertains to the outcomes in those patients? Well, no. first of all, I, what I want to tell you is that you know, for those uh, approaches, without and without uterine manipulator and without and with protective maneuvers, again, mm -hmm. we use the, the we use it the same statistical tool, right? The okay. inverse. Uh, so, um, what is very interesting that in broad groups uh, regarding the, the tumor diameter, tumor grading, vascular space invasion, and so forth, mm -hmm. they were completely balanced, mm -hmm. and we found again, you know, differences, but it was. We use four groups, I mean, sorry, three groups in the open surgery, minimal invasive surgery without uterine manipulator, and minimal invasive surgery with uterine manipulator, mm -hmm. right? And there was clear uh, differences regarding, I mean, as you remember, one of the most important results is that by using the uterine manipulator, mm -hmm. you have 2.7 times risk of relapse. Mm -hmm than without uterine manipulator. And without uterine manipulator, there were no differences with the open approach, yeah. right? Yeah. But these differences, exactly the same that comparing open versus minimal invasive surgery were found in tumor greater than two centimeters. And we had no, were unable to find differences in smaller tumors. Yeah. Right? And exactly the same with the, the protective uh, Um, uh, uh, coverage of the vagina, I mean, closure of the vagina. So it, it was positive, the study, I mean, patient that had a, a protective closure of the vagina had an advantage in disease-free survival, in overall survival, mm -hmm. but specifically in tumors over two centimeters. Yeah. So then, Luis, one of the other things also, and, and I think obviously for for those who may continue to advocate for minimally invasive surgery. One of the criticisms of these studies is always, well, perhaps the group that did minimally invasive surgery had poor surgical technique or this was their early experience in the learning curve. How would you address this argument about the SUCOR study? Well, about SUCOR studies is probably more complicated than in the LAC trial that was done, you know, by I mean, people that was really experts in the field. But I don't care. I mean, what the, the final point here is that it's the real life in Europe. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? This is the people that is doing, I mean, the people that has answered, you know, the result, the, the, the questionnaires here are ESGO members. Mm -hmm. Most of them gynecologists, oncologists with an official or an official fellowship that has been working for a long while. Uh, as uh, senior surgeons, mm -hmm. and uh, most of the in most of the cases, if there is a junior surgeon, is assisted by a senior surgeon. Mm -hmm. And and my opinion that even though it it might be in a in a in a uh, in a uh, I would say in a, some specific world uh, a, a great surgeon with better results in the real life in Europe done by the people who is performing radical hysterectomy, those are the results. Mm -hmm. I mean, much worse in minimal invasive surgery. Yeah. 
And and Luis, going on to you have mentioned previously the recurrence rate in the minimally yeah. invasive group being twenty point six percent, I believe, in, in your in your study as compared to the recurrence rate in the minimally invasive group in the LAC trial being eight percent. Um, yeah. I think you spoke a little bit about that uh, before, but um, what why do you think the recurrences rates are so much higher in so the high. retrospective studies for the minimally invasive arm? Well, I'll tell you that are not comparable with the LAC trial. I'll tell you why. Because in this, as you remember very well, the LAC trial include conization, con biopsy, that, you know, usually is uh, coming along with, you know, uh, uh, better tumors. Mm -hmm. But I have the data, the specific figure for, you know, try, but even including, I mean, I had the, the, the results for including with the same inclusion criteria of the LAC trial, and the figure is 13%, mm. 13%. Okay. But it still is not comparable because you have, you know, a low, but a fair number of 182 as well, right? right. right. So probably in, if, if we we were talking about 12%, 11%, but it's, it still is higher. Mm -hmm. And the reason is clear. Again, this is, you know, a real-world study, right. and the LAC trial is a, is, is a, is a, a randomized trial with a, 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 um, um, an inclusion criteria of being, you know, uh, a, a, a proof, a proven uh, expert surgeon. Mm -hmm. And now, Luis, one of the things that also comes up, and, and I think that there's also a recent publication in the, coming up in the International Journal about measurement of tumor size, um, my next question is, obviously, many always wonder in these studies on radical hysterectomy, How is tumor size determined? Um, and I'm interested in hearing whether there was any specifications within the SUCOR study um, where you have physical examination, where you have imaging, where you have pathology. Yeah. When there's a discrepancy between these, how did you measure yeah. tumor size in the SUCOR study? Yeah. When we receive all the data from all the patients, I mean, we have data on all the diameters that you can get, three diameters from the cone, We had three diameters from the MRI or ultrasound, and we have diameters from the final specimen. In our case, it was kind of, um, I mean, easy to do this because we exclude the cones. So mm -hmm. all the MRIs and um, all the MRIs and all the ultrasound were done in patients without cones, right? Mm -hmm. In the sugar specific study. So uh, there is an, uh, an incredible um, correlation between the MRI. Uh, we have in, in case that we don't have MRI, that is just, I would say, 15% or something like that, mm -hmm. we have uh, select, you know, the largest uh, anterior-posterior diameter or lateral diameter or invasion. Mm -hmm. And this incredible um, correlation between both. Uh, is are, They are very discriminated. Mm -hmm. In fact, we are uh, writing a paper mm -hmm. uh, trying to, uh, um, and this is something that I, I am now seeing preliminary results, to uh, design a, a preliminary uh, uh, relapse cancer index in early cervical cancer. Mm. And MRI uh, foresee much better the rate of result than even the, the final pathology, which right. is, I is very interesting. Yeah. So, so in, in, I don't know if I'm answering the question here. Yeah, right no, no, I, absolutely. I, I think uh, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's, uh, it, we must remember that this is um, 
a challenge always uh, to measure tumor size. And, and as you mentioned, worse when you have a cervical colonization with positive margins and then you have residual disease in the radical hysterectomy specimen exactly, uh, exactly. which which do you which do you approach so that's it's always it. a, that's always a dilemma M one of the things that i also want to highlight uh, and and i think that this has come up in many discussions in the presentations you found that survival was worse for minimally invasive surgery in patients with tumors greater than two centimeters and and i think that no one argues that these days um, the issue is that there are many who claim and say, well, you know, when we looked at less than two centimeters, we didn't see a difference. In the Sucor study, you looked at less than two centimeters, you didn't see a difference. My question always to this is, this is a patient population in less than two centimeters where the likelihood of recurrence is very low. So do we have Absolutely. enough numbers to really see a difference when we're looking at this subgroup of patients? I was wondering what your thoughts were on this. Well, I agree completely with you. And I mean, especially, more, more especially in this study where we have removed the cones that were probably in most of the cases allocated in tumors that length of one centimeter. So in the, the total of uh, patients with uh, greater than two centimeters in the open arm, for instance, was 242, and in minimal insert surgery was 163, if I don't remember that. Mm -hmm. However, for you know lower tumors, equal or less than two centimeters, was on one hand in open surgery 160, and minimal invasive surgery 128. So it's not a, a final conclusion, but but makes sense on the other hand. Why? Because if you think that you uh, put over the table the hypothesis that you are manipulating the tumor, probably in a smaller tumor, you have you don't have you know the options of of fractionated tumor so much like in the other cases, right? Mm -hmm. But also, or at least uh, even without conization, right? And this is important because with conization there is you know much comp complicated you know evaluation of this reality, but. Mm -hmm. Probably, you know, the bad influence of the spread of the tumor with the grasper and with the uterine manipulator is lower. Mm -hmm. This is my point. Yeah. Besides that the rate of relapse in these smaller tumors is, a, is a smaller as well, right? Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, and there was, a, there was a recent publication in the International Journal mm -hmm. specifically looking at less than two centimeters, and they also saw that there was worse outcomes with minimally invasive. So I think, obviously, it's a group that uh, should deserve and certainly uh, further exploration. So now, one, one of the questions that, uh, with regards to the manipulator, I go back to that. Um, you found that the recurrence rates were higher in patients where uterine manipulator was, was used. Um, I think it's only natural that many will question as to whether the uterine manipulator group had worse oncologic profile. In other words, in your study, and, and certainly you can speak to the, the, the matching uh, that, that was done, um, do you have any information as to whether the manipulator group had you know, higher risk tumors, higher grade, um, that could have potentially led to the worst outcomes rather than the manipulator itself leading to the worst outcomes? Of course, we, I mean, perform before uh, calculating the risk uh, univariate analysis with the same covariate, and we're 
almost identical. But uh, even, you know, to be fair with these results, we again use the inverse probability treatment weighting based on propensity score, not only for comparing minimally versus open, but also to construct, you know, weighted course between open um, and use of a uterine manipulator and not use, right? Mm -hmm. In order to balance the seven uh, variables in, uh, to give, you know, uh, really uh, strong results. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So, Luis. And the same, and the mm -hmm. same, and the same with the, with the, with the protective uh, uh, colpotomy closure. Right. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. Right. So, Luis, uh, and, I, and I know that our, our time is uh, uh, short, but I wanted to ask you two more questions. And, and one of them is, um, you know, there are a lot of people who say, well, I looked at my own personal data and I don't see this happening. Uh, you know, certainly <laughs> the, one should always do that, obviously, but does that really represent what is what is found in large studies and in in other words i mean when when the the incidence of cervical cancer is so low in, in so many institutions where radical hysterectomy often is performed by you know certainly a, a few and and there's not that many radical hysterectomies um what are your thoughts with regards to well, I, like I, this I, principle I, um, yeah, well, um, I'm, I'm really scary. I mean, probably just probably one or two. I mean, what are the largest institutions doing cervical cancer in the world? Probably Memorial, probably MD Anderson and, and some others. And it's very difficult, you know, to make uh, a decision in their own data. What is really true is that, you know, there's an amazing amount of data showing um, uh, uh, harm from minimal invasive surgery, you have, to, you have to be very cautious. I don't trust anymore in my own results that can be perfectly, you know, uh, have um, uh, bias, can have a kind of a type of selection for, and I think that so far we have to, to, to base our decisions in, uh, if possible, in prospective studies. And but you know this is a well I, from my point of view a well done retrospective study showing the same results, and it's very difficult you know to assume that you are going to change uh, a, you know these these outcomes unless you change completely the way of performing your surgery, even by minimal invasive surgery. But then you have to, in advance now, you have the obligation to prove this because we have been doing surgery without any proof. And this is unfair for the patients. So Luis, one last question. Um, I'm gonna ask you, uh, obviously given the results in the current literature, including your study representing Europe, uh, the fact that subsequent studies from the LAC trial uh, have shown no difference in complication rates and, and no difference in quality of life, along with ESGO, ESMO, NCCN, and the FIGO guidelines suggesting the open approach, do you see a reason to continue performing MIS? <laughs> this is a 1,000 million I mean, question, and I'll you some, I, 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 I would like you know, to, to share with you my thoughts on this. I mean, from the academic point of view, there is not you know, any reason to do this, to continue doing this, but, and this is you know, how has been designed the human being, 
the first thing is it, this this the LAC trial has become a challenge, you know, for the gynecology oncology international community. And everybody wants, you know, so to know why were the reasons for these results. And, and we are going to find the results in the next five years, probably. Hopefully, within, you know, the with a, a prospective clinical trial, we'll see. And it's going to be impossible, even though this is clearly, I mean, there is no differences to stop the minimal invasive approach. But at least the LAC trial uh, uh, had or would, would uh, show that um, that I mean we were doing the things uh, incorrectly, and we have to change the way of working. Well, Luis, thank you very much for thank your you. time. Uh, congratulations on completing this study. Uh, certainly, we look forward to further publications from this study. And uh, sure. I think certainly we, we extended beyond our usual time, but I think our audience will be uh, very happy to uh, have listened to, to you and certainly always a great opportunity to speak with you and learn uh, from you. Thank you for your My contributions pleasure. and for your work uh, with our societies. Thank you, Pedro. It's an amazing pleasure to be with you always.